If you have a Bible with you tonight, maybe you could turn with me to Psalm 8. Psalm 8. And in, in the time we have left, I just wanted to share some things the Holy Spirit has been dropping in on my heart. You know, when we go through seasons where we are not really sensing the Lord in a powerful way, some things begin to shift in us. We start to move from faith to logic. Have you ever found that about yourself? So you look at your circumstances, and instead of having faith to believe that God can do something, actually you start to try and work out what you can do to change that something. Have you ever done that? When we're not living in that place of refreshing where our spirit is enlivened by God, our natural default is to become self-reliant. So we start to make something happen or resolve a problem by human uh, experience or, or even wisdom to some extent. But actually, it's God's intent that we always live in the fullness of his presence. You know, in God there is no lack. He lacks no good thing. And he is always available to us. So if, if I'm not experiencing him, I don't want to get into self-analysis. I find that that is a place that I tend to have a default to. Sometimes it's not that I've done something wrong. Sometimes the Lord is doing something new and I just haven't understood it. I'm trying to take old paradigms and operate in them for a new opportunity in the kingdom of God. And, and what needs to shift in me really is that sense of self needs to die and my awareness of him needs to grow. I need to be more aware of God than I am even of myself. Amen? So I don't want to live in that place. I don't want to live out of human logic or reason. As good as that can be, and it has in many ways helped me along the journey. I want to live consistently connected to the power and the source of life known to me as the Holy Spirit. I want to be caught up in the Spirit. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to be led by the Spirit. I want to be anointed in the Spirit. Amen? I want to be commissioned by the Spirit. You know, sometimes there's a commissioning, a quickening thing that happens whenever we're speaking to somebody. You just feel this is the moment I need to say to this person certain things. So I believe that the enemy makes ourselves bigger when we're living outside of refreshing. And indeed, the default is, therefore, that God is smaller. And you're trying to work out your problems without realizing that you have this glorious, available God who has all power and all authority and all dominion at his disposal. You are never without resources. You are never without hope. You are never without the capacity for wisdom and clarity and a sense of Holy Spirit uh, reality. God is but a prayer away. He's but a cry away. And sometimes my greatest prayers are short. They go a little like this. Help. I'm sure you've prayed them yourself. So I believe that what is happening as the Spirit begins to move is that we start to come back into that place of understanding the greatness of God. We start to have this expansive awareness of his nature, his power, his capacity, and his availability to us. We move away from the lack of resource that we have in our human form, and we step into the invitation of just enjoying the God who has this glorious ability to do immeasurably beyond anything we could even ask or imagine. And when the Spirit begins to awaken us as a people, He starts to draw us back to who God truly is. God is great, 
and greatly to be praised. The heavens and the earth cannot contain his glory, church. There is no vessel, no, no platform big enough for the fullness of who God is. He is beyond our comprehension, and yet in his glory and his grace, he has decided to reveal to us who he is. And we are in this glorious romance where we are discovering more and more and more about the goodness and the greatness of God. Well, one such person who lived with that kind of clarity is one of my favorite people in the scriptures. I call him the worshiping warrior. His name is King David. And uh, I'm going to read this together. Please read it with me. Follow on in Psalm 8. And this is what he has to say. He said, the Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe of the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of them, human beings that you even care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands, and you put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You see, for many of us here, our life ambition, or maybe mission, has been to discover who we are. In fact, from the earliest memories in our lives, we've wanted people to help us with that process, whether it's our parents or school or as we grew up through university or went off to live the adventure of a married life, really most of our interactions with the world around us is really a desire and a passion to find out who we truly are. In fact, if you think that through, that has been the focus of humanity. And I believe in many ways the reason why we are so confused and indeed often so messed up. So many people believe that discovering themselves is the most important question. When they find out who they are, they think they are going to find some level of peace or a sense of empowerment to live their lives. And the truth is, I've always discovered that when I find me, I don't find anything that glorious. When I really find me, I find a lot of brokenness. You know, if you go looking for stuff, you'll find it. And when I look into my heart, not everything in it is good. Not everything about my life is great. I don't feel energized by my discoveries. I feel sometimes paralyzed by my inability to live the life that I believe that sometimes I should be living. And the big question surely can't be, who are we? The big question can't be, who are you or who am I? The real big question here that needs to be discovered is, who is God? And I'd like to suggest to you that it's simply the most important question that you can find out the answer to this side of heaven and eternity. When you discover who God is, you actually find out who you are. And without the first discovery, the second discovery is always somehow a vapor or indeed something that never fully fulfills us. We are truly found when we are found by him. When the Lord finds us and our hearts begin to awaken to him, we start to understand who we are as an individual. But the first discovery must be the primary discovery of our lives. In fact, it's the whole desire of the heart of God to reveal himself to humanity. 
You know, I often look back at my early times when I first became a Christian and I thought I knew God. You know how you do when you're starting out on the journey? I was so blessed by the love of God and so touched by the power of the Holy Spirit. I actually was arrogant enough to believe that I'd got God down pat. And then I discovered I went through a season where some of those initial revelations of his nature and his character seemed to fade. And we call that process sometimes in the body of Christ the honeymoon period. You know, like people said to me when I went to the church and asked questions about that, they said, well, you know, that's the honeymoon period. In other words, you get this wonderful romantic feeling at first, but it dies down. Now, that might be your marriage, but it doesn't have to be your relationship with God. I believe that we should be ever leaning into the reality of who God is, discovering his wonders, exploring his depths. He has so much to him that we have yet to see. In fact, the New Testament puts it this way. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it even entered into our hearts. Can you believe that? It hasn't even entered into our hearts what God has prepared for those who love him. Our adventure is one of consistent discovery. God wants to be found. He loves you to seek him. Because in the seeking, you discover who he is. And as you discover who he is, you get greater revelation of who you are. There is so much to him that we have yet to fully know. And when you look back across your life, you will start to see this. It's a bit of a pattern. That you change as you find out something fresh and new about him. How many of us, when we first got saved, were just so grateful to be saved? Is there anybody still grateful to be saved? Please be grateful to be saved. <laughs> and then you realize that salvation was a lot more than you initially thought. Saved at first was having your sins forgiven. Sin, sins that you know you could do nothing about, but Christ had come to earth and sacrificed his life so you could have your sins forgiven. And then on the other side of that, you started to realize that being saved meant that things were changing. Do you remember the first time that you couldn't do what you used to do because the Holy Spirit brought conviction to you? Do you remember that? It was such a shock to me that I couldn't swear. Now, I come from an Irish family and everybody swears. But, you know, I went to say the words and I couldn't say the words. And what made it worse is everybody in my family Everybody in my family used the name of Jesus in a blasphemous way. And I would be like this. <laughs> my mother thought I had some kind of incurable disease. She used to say to me, I don't know what's happened to you, but you're strange. You're very strange. But what had happened was, past just having my sins forgiven, I started to understand that the name of Jesus is sacred. It is powerful. At his name, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I was moving into a new realm, moving into a new space, moving into a new invitation from God. And then there were times whenever I felt the Holy Spirit make me bold to speak to people. And I don't know how you feel about that, but my natural dispensation is I am quite a quiet person. I, I am not outgoing. I am not charismatic. <clears throat> I am not, I am not, I protest. But as the Spirit begins to empower you, you get a boldness that comes, don't you? There's a boldness that comes on your life and suddenly you're saying things to people you don't like and don't know and you are impressed by what's coming out of your mouth. Have you ever been impressed by what's coming out of your mouth? I've also been depressed by what's come out of my mouth, I must be honest with you. 
But sometimes when, when in those early days, when the Lord would move on my life in that way, I would be saying things and I think, gosh, that sounds really good. And I could never remember it afterwards. I could never remember it afterwards. I knew it was the Lord. The scriptures tell us that if we open our mouth, he will fill it. So God is always wanting to invite us into this glorious exploration of the depths of his nature, the heights of his glory, the breadth of his majesty and love. It's never boring. It's always life-changing. And every discovery we have of who he is redefines who we are. We are transformed in that transaction. As we behold him, we are empowered to become like him. That is why Paul the Apostle writes to the church and he says, I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will come upon you. Because if we don't have consistent encounter and connection and new and renewed affection with God, what happens by default is we backslide. We start to become defaulting to our human logic and our reason. God has promised us, and I love this, in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Now, it's great that you have revelation. Is there anybody here who has revelation of God? <clears throat> Come on, please. Is there anybody here? Yes, you have seen him, and you will never be the same. Even if you wanted to go back to the life you thought you had, you couldn't go back without a conscience that was indeed troubled by it. You will never be the same. You have, you have been transformed into the kingdom of light and the Lord God Almighty delights to reveal himself to you. <clears throat> but the root of all of our problems is a misunderstanding about who God is. And sometimes, you know, I listen to people and they talk to me about all kinds of things. That's the nature of what the Lord's asked me to do. And I listen very closely to what they're saying. And often I think there's a flawed understanding about the nature of God. And the truth is, we all have those problems. It's not enough for us just to have salvation or indeed the unction of the Spirit or indeed revelation or conviction about areas of our lives. We must be consistently engaged, leaning in to his word and his presence and asking this question, who are you, Jesus? And as he opens our eyes and opens our hearts and reveals his nature and establishes a character in us that looks like him, we are changing and being transformed. And it's almost effortless because it's not based on human desire or even human application. We just behold his glory. And in that beholding, we start to live out the story of God. The God who changes lives and transforms minds and heals marriages and raises the dead and heals the sick. And oh, I could keep going forever and ever. But if you're honest, and I think it's always important to, some of the ways we get stuck is because we just don't know him. We are walking in presumption or maybe in familiarity. And in every season, I think of our lives, the Lord wants to bring a fresh revelation of who he is. It's great that we have past experiences, but we need to have present realities. In, in the book of Revelation, it says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. That's an eternal consequence where sin is concerned because the blood of the Lamb is the most powerful and potent force to redeem man from his sinfulness. Amen? But it also adds to that and the word of their testimony. And I want to remind you that it's not saying their history. 
It's not saying what God did for them 40 years ago, or 20 years ago, or 10 years ago. The actual words that are used there mean their current experience of God. Your testimony is your current experience of God. When you gave your life to Jesus 10, 15, 20 years ago, that was your testimony then. It's now become your history. But your testimony is, who is God for you today? What is God revealing to you today? Now, I don't think we spend enough time thinking about that. I think sometimes we're living on yesterday's bread. But the Lord delights to give us bread today. There's revelation for you in this season that you will need to be able to fully embrace all that God wants to do. And it starts, it starts in our hearts with that inclination for more, an insatiable desire to know him. And I know that sometimes my appetite gets a little bit dulled because there are lesser things that seem to satisfy. But deep down in the depths of my soul, I always come back to the craving of my heart. And it comes out of the Psalms again. It's David's words. He says this, as the deer pants for streams of water, <clears throat> so my soul longs after you, O God. In other words, the natural and the supernatural, they become this divine orchestration of God catalysting us into places of satisfaction and refreshing. Look what David says at the beginning of his psalm. He says, O Lord, O Lord. And he's using two different phrases to describe his revelation of God. The first one is the majestic nature of the God who presides and resides over all things. It's almost like David is saying, lift your head above your circumstances. Lift your head above your logic. Lift your head above your experience. There is a God who presides over humanity. He is the God of history. The God who has power to shape and to move and to orchestrate his plan. The God who has caught you up in the narrative of the salvation work that he is establishing here on earth. Oh Lord, and look at that word, our God. This is not just some abstract God who lives above all things and is not touched by our lives. He is personal to us. Lord, our Lord, you have become the Lord of our lives. You have established for yourself in me the reality of your presence and your glory. And he adds to that, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What he's simply saying is, there isn't a thing seen or unseen that you don't have dominion over. There is nothing here, God, that doesn't belong to you. I love the Psalms. If I go to the depths of the earth, you are there. If I go to the highest place, you are there. The world, the earth, is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But I want to let you know it's not just the earth. It's the universes. God is the God of everything. He presides in his majestic and glorious dominion over all things seen and unseen. And you know there are universes we have yet to discover. There are glorious scientific revelations coming that will reestablish for us the order of the Bible. They already are starting to materialize, but they're going to increase. God is the God of everywhere. And if he's the God of everywhere, he's the God of everything. He's involved all over, in it all, through it all, above it all, and presides over it all. He is simply the king of every king and the Lord of every Lord. And David says these words, how majestic is your name. God, I have no way of fathoming who you truly are, but I am indeed attracted and stirred by the possibilities of discovering you. And when we ever hear the word of the, the Lord referring to his name, it's talking about his character. 
It's talking about his personality. You know, the Lord's name is not a name we can take in vain because when we say it in vain, we are disconnecting him from his character. The Lord is the God of righteousness. He's the God of holiness. Somebody say amen. He's the God of power and dominion over sickness and disease. Everything about him is in his name. His name sums up, and it's very inadequate in the scriptures. It sums up the essence of who he is. And so David is lifting his head and he's lifting his voice in the midst of a troubled season in his life. And he says, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh Lord, how majestic is your name. And I want to just highlight a couple of things to you here because the next part of this I think is quite interesting as we start to think a little bit about the greatness of God. He he uses this word, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe of the avenger. So here we have this glorious picture of the spectacular, majestic nature of God, all-powerful, the most glorious potency of his presence and his posture over all of humanity and all of eternity. And David's drawing and painting for us this glorious picture of the vastness and the greatness of God. And in his second stanza in this, he's drawing our attention to the smallest and the weakest of all of humanity. And look what he says about the little children. He says, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe of the avenger. Can I tell you, if you truly want to know the greatness of God, look at the meekness of the people that he's using. There is always a connection between the power of God and the people that he chooses. The Bible tells us that he chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wisdom of humanity. Amen. When God chose to invade our planet with his glory, he set the course where a tiny child known to us as the babe, the Lord Jesus, was born in a backwater place out of sight from everybody's eyes. God places majesty in meekness. That's his nature. As great as he is, he chooses to place himself in lowly and ordinary things. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, but I'm excited because I don't feel that great. I feel quite lowly and ordinary. Do any of you feel like that tonight? In fact, I'm more aware of my ordinariness the older I get. You know, when I was young, I thought I could change the world. When I became 21, I thought I could just change the world I existed in. When I was 25, I thought I could change my life. And now that I'm 35, I realize I can't even change my mind. I feel very lowly, very ordinary, but it gets even better than that. He has placed authority in the mouths of babies. That is how clear God is about who he is. That is how certain he truly is about his power and authority over all things. He's entrusted that power to the mouths of babes. Now, I don't know if you know many babies, but they tend to talk a little like this, gaga, dada, mama. Okay, and then when they have a breakthrough and they talk, they never shut up. You know how you pray for them to speak and then they speak and you think, God, what did I pray that for? Was it just me? Oh, sorry, perhaps it's just me. It's just me. So what is it that he's placed in the mouths of babies? Well, it can't be eloquent speech. It's not eloquent speech that destroys the enemies of God. Amen? 
It can't be profound intellect because a baby or a toddler has very limited capacity to understand. So what is it? I want to tell you, God takes his power and he releases it through the praise of infants. God takes his glory and his majesty and he places it in the humility and meekness of a baby. That is why God is worthy to be praised. There is no force, no power, nothing on earth, seen or unseen, that has more authority than the God that we're worshipping tonight. He is simply the smartest, brightest, cleverest, most intelligent and powerful being that you and I will ever engage with. And God is assured by himself enough to place authority over his enemies in the mouth of babies. Someone say hallelujah to that. That is how great your God is. That is how majestic his name is. And I want to let you know that praise is God's preferred weapon of warfare. You know, I think sometimes we think lofty things about ourselves. If we just pray the right prayer and add Jesus to the end of it. You know, if we bang the drum before heaven, can I tell you, the devil is more frightened of your praise than he is your prayer. Because it's your praise that God inhabits. God inhabits the praises of his people. And see what happens when he inhabits our praises, authority is released and his kingdom begins to manifest. Now I'm not suggesting you don't pray, I'm saying pray, but please praise also. And even if you feel as weak or as meek as a little baby, your praise has the capacity to destroy the works of the enemy. Somebody say amen to that. When I consider your heavens and the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. And this is David drawing us back to the vastness of God. And then he throws a bomb right into the middle of the psalm. And he asks a question that I think is worthy of our moments uh, tonight. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Human beings that you care for them. Now, not only has God placed his power in the praises of infants, but God has subjected the advances of his kingdom to the partnerships he has with his people. You know, sometimes I think we pray like we're not part of the solution. Sometimes I think we engage with the kingdom like it's got nothing to do with us. But as you look at this scripture, you realize that it's always going to be the nature of God who is great to raise his people to do great and glorious things. In fact, was it not Jesus who said, greater things you will do even than I have done. He is great and worthy of our praise tonight, but he has called you to partner with his greatness. He has made you a little lower than the angels, but he has given you dominion and authority to steward his kingdom and extend his purposes here on earth. It says in verse 6, you made them rulers of the works of your hands. Do you know that you and I are responsible for this earth? That God has called you to steward this earth? Do you know that you are responsible for your family? Please stop whining about how ungodly they are. And start to worship God and praise God and declare the goodness of God. God has given you responsibility over your workplace. It's not your boss or the CEO who has endless responsibility. You are a child of God. You have the power to determine outcomes with your words. Go into your workplace, not arrogantly, but meekly, and allow the praises on your lips to allow God to have some glory. God will use you extensively if you understand what he's placed inside of you. <clears throat> God has called you to be a gatekeeper of every environment. 
Now you may feel weak, but he is strong. You may feel unable to do anything, but he is able to do immeasurably beyond anything you ask or imagine. So God, in his greatness, has placed in the mouths of babies a power and authority in praise to tear down the strongholds of the enemy. God, in his greatness, has placed in the frailty of humanity a mandate to subdue all things on the earth. Now that's not a lording it over the earth, that's a servant ministry to raise people up into their fullness. So when you step into your workplace, God has assigned great things for you. You are a visible, tangible evidence of the God who is powerful living inside an ordinary person's life. Everywhere that you place the foot of your shoe, or the sh whatever that phrase is, the sole of your foot, I'm tired now, okay? That ground he has given you, but I want to, this is not a dominion authority, okay? This is not what I'm suggesting to you because Jesus humbled himself and became a servant even unto death. We are meant to be the best servants in every environment we're in. And when we serve, knowing that we're not serving in vain, that is the God who is going to do and is doing great things in us and through us that will bring life to those around us, we never grow weary in doing good. Here's where we grow weary in doing good. If we're not in charge, if we're not recognized by people. You know, a friend of mine said to me years ago, he's a great man of God, he said, Simon, nobody minds being a servant. And you know, I was going through this whole phase in my life with Jesus where I wanted to be the best servant in his family. He said, and he added to this, the second phrase, until they're treated like one. And isn't that the truth about us? We all sing songs about all to Jesus I surrender. We walk to the back of the door and pick it all back up again. God, here I am, send me. And then he sends you and you think, I don't want to go to those people. We have a Jonah anointing. We like to go over here. And by the way, if you could swallow me in the belly of a whale for a few weeks, that would be helpful because I'm not really that keen on the place that you've set me. God's greatness is so vast, he has placed us in meekness. And now he reminds us that he's placed it in weakness. In our frail humanity, God has given us the capacity to do and to be a representation of his greatness here on earth. That is why it's not okay for us just to have revival and bless me meetings. As good as they are, as good as it is to get filled with the power of God and the presence of God, we are also commissioned to take what we have been given, to take what the Lord has blessed us with and for it to turn up in our family. Can I tell you what that looks like? If your marriage isn't better after you've been touched by God, then I question you've been touched by God. Okay, if your home life is not better after you've been touched by God, then you need to come back and drink again from the well because you were not thirsty enough to receive what was necessary to bring life. It is important for us to understand that everything he gives to us is the commissioning and quickening of his spirit so that we can do great exploits in his name. It's important that we don't cause what the spirit is doing to be a reservoir when God has commissioned it to be a river full of life, moving and breathing and, and going in all kinds of directions and affecting everything for good in its wake. And then the psalmist comes back to the glorious thought that he started out his commentary with us in. He says, Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth.